dropped in, down in the zone where the rock had begun to melt. And that's an interesting clue. But increase again in the granite. This matches the volumes of hot water. Why? Because when the rock starts to melt, it actually absorbs water from the environment and takes it out. And then when the granite cools, it releases it again. So again, we're seeing exactly what we would predict. More and more water as you go through the metamorphic complex. Then the rock starts to melt and soaks up the water so you can't get halos. And then it releases the water when it becomes granite and you get the halos. And, and that's exactly what we found the pattern in the rocks. Here's some of those halos. Here's the traverse along the roads where the samples were collected. And here's the pattern. This low spot here is where the metamorphic rocks were melting to start to form the granite. The fluids increased with metamorphism, but once the rocks started to melt, the melt absorbed the water, so it took it out of circulation so it couldn't form so many halos, and then when it formed, it crystallized, it released it back again to form more radio halos. Now, isn't that exciting? It really, it, it really does work. Well, back with granites again for a moment. In the Lake District of England, I mentioned this earlier, there is a, the Shap Granite. In fact, it's very famous. Many of the buildings in London are clad with granite from this area. And this is one of these granites, like the Kuma Granite that we just saw, that intrudes into fossil-bearing, marine fossil-bearing sedimentary layers and volcanic rocks that would have been produced during the flood. And in fact, the heat and the hydrothermal fluids produced by this granite as it crystallized produced a huge alteration zone around it. In fact, it's one of the largest known in the scientific literature. Compared to the scale of the granite, it's a huge area, as we'll see in a moment. Interestingly, this granite contains large pink felspars. The pink mineral in granite is potassium felspar, and it's very pretty when it's very large. And and many granites are like that. And they indicate that there were huge volumes of hydrothermal fluids this granite crystallized because they're able to precipitate large crystals. Here's the area of England we're talking about. It's right up near the border with Scotland, not far from Hadrian's Wall. And here's the Shap granite right here in the middle of this sedimentary and volcanic terrain. And uh, this is a close-up view of the granite. It's only a small body that outcrops. And this dotted line is the alteration halo around it. And you can see where I collected some of those samples. Here's the quarry, the older quarry, that has produced a lot of the ornamental rock for cladding of buildings in, in London. And some of the samples came from that quarry. Here we can see the large pink felspars. And uh, they make very beautiful uh, polishing surfaces for ladies to have in their kitchens. And so if you have a, if you have a granite in your kitchen bench, just remember it's radioactive. <laughs> just thought I'd give you an, some encouragement tonight. Whoa, whoa, we've lost our... Let me go back quickly. That's what the granite looks like under the microscope, some of these large crystals. In fact... Uh, can we see a zircon crystal? Yes, that's a zircon crystal up there. Some of them are quite large. Here's some of the halos, the uranium and polonium radio halos found in these biotite flakes. 
And interestingly, similar large numbers of uranium polonium radio halos were found in all samples. Neither, and of course, neither the granite is, the granite isn't primordial, it was formed during the flood, and therefore the polonium radio halos aren't primordial. They were formed as a, after the granite formed during the flood, or as the granite formed during the flood. Again, with this diagram to show that it had to be as the granite reached its, the bottom of its cooling curve, below 150 degrees. Now, interestingly, the large, the large radio halo numbers were the same at the granite's edge as in the centre, in the more in, inward a bit. This sample here is from this location. Here's the, here's the boundary of the granite, right where that tape is. The sample was just taken right beside that. And uh, these heat effects, by the way, also confirms that the granite was formed during the flood. It wasn't intruded cold, as Robert Gentry suggested as his solution to this problem. He suggested that granites were created and then they were intruded cold during the flood. No, here's the heat effects as a result of molten intrusion. Let's go to the Yosemite National Park quickly. Uh, the, that area, of course, is almost exclusively granites. And in the centre of the park, in the most accessible areas, is a group of granite bodies called the Tuolumne Intrusive Suite. Some of you may have heard of the Tuolumne Meadows, the high country. Well, that's where the name uh, comes from. And these granite bodies were sequentially intruded into one another, as we'll show in a moment. There is, but when, after, as they were intruded, there are no boundary heat alteration effects between the later and the earlier granites. That means they were all still warm as they were each one sequentially intruded, which gives us a clue that, that the sequential intrusion may have been fairly rapid. Here's the area of California that we're talking about, the Sierra Nevada, and this is the Yosemite area here. And uh, this is a geological map of the core of the park, and I, I know the scale is hard for you to read, but if you want the full-scale version, go to the Answers Research Journal on our website. And this paper appeared earlier this year, so you can print it out, attach it to an email as a PDF file and send it to anyone else you like. And the samples are shown there where they were obtained from and all the, all the data. Of course, it's a beautiful area, no matter where you look, it's granite. That's the back of Half Dome, that's uh, some of the falls from Glacier Point. And this is in the high country up towards Lake uh, Tanea. And here's some of the outcrops, again, on the road cuts. And uh, the granites are an interesting rock to study. In fact, when I did my bachelor's degree, it was a granite that I had to map the boundaries of. And interestingly, just in the last few years, I've gotten from my archives the samples I collected 30 years ago during my bachelor's degree work to actually look at for radio halos. And there'll be a paper on that shortly because it's come up with some interesting results. Here's what these granites, different granites of the Tuolumne intrusive suite look like under the microscope. Now the interesting thing is the number of the polonium radio halos increase almost exponentially from very few in the first intruded body, which is called the granodiorite of Cuna Cress, to large numbers in the last two of these sequentially intruded granite bodies, the Cathedral Peak granite and the Johnson granite porphyry. So there's, 
there's a difference in the num- radio-halo numbers depending when the granite was formed in this sequence. This correlates, interestingly, and this comes right out of the research done by our secular colleagues directly with the evidence for progressively increasing volumes of hydrothermal fluids in these granite bodies. So again, there's a correlation, more hydrothermal fluids, more polonium radiohalos. And that again, that again verifies the predictions of the model which in- increases our, uh, our support for that model. Here's some of the radiohalos found in these biotite flakes, uh, and this is this another, see the difference in the coloration of the biotite reflecting the hydrothermal fluids. The Cathedral, Park, uh, Cathedral Peak Granodorite, the second last of these granite bodies, the evidence for the high volume of hydrothermal fluids is again these large pink felspars, really large pink felspars, just as in the Shap granite in England, the Lake District of England. And this is the sequence of intrusion. First of all, the green body is the granodiorite of Cuna Crest and it cools progressively inward. The red area is the area that's still cooling. And not long after it, you get the half-dome granodiorite, named after half-dome, which is made up of this rock called granodiorite. And you see some uh, some of it has already cooled and it progressively cools inward. Before that's finished, you've got another body another phase of the half-dome granodiorite, and finally, you get intruded into that, the cathedral peak granodiorite, and the last little bit is called the Johnson granite, uh, Johnson granite porphyry. Now, the interesting thing is, there's so much evidence of hydrothermal fluid in the Johnson granite porphyry that the steam would have built up to such an extent that as that rock was cooling, it it parented in a volcanic eruption. And this comes straight out of one of the books that is uh, available on the geology of the area. This is the present topography. If you add on the rocks that have been eroded away, there's evidence that this was the chamber beneath the volcano, which became so full of steam that it exploded to the surface. No wonder we find so many radio halos in that last formed rock. And that's quite common. Most people don't realise that underneath Mount St Helens there was a hot body of rock that built up with steam and so much pressure from that steam that it eventually popped the cork at the top, which was the eruption, and that's what happens. And so if you have a granite magma, it actually has more water, so you're more likely to get an explosive eruption, which is why everyone is saying there might yet be another explosive eruption in Yellowstone National Park. So each granite had a rapid cooling time, for each uh, granite body, but each granite body in this sequence was still warm when the later granites formed, but not warm enough to obliterate the radio halos that were forming. And so the total sequence of these intrusions in this Twilamine intrusive suite had to be crystalli- intruded, crystallised and cooled within a few weeks. Interestingly, I'll just close this section. This is, comes out of the second rate book. This is the conventional age of the granites that I studied, and these are the numbers of halos. These are the flood granites. Look what happens. More radio halos while you had a lot more water around during the flood. This one here is way off the scale. See, that's about 70. It had to be, if we projected that up, it'd be way up in the ceiling. Which granite did that come from? 
It came from a granite that has ore deposits associated with it. Cornwall in, in England contains, the granite there contains huge numbers of polonium uranium radio halos. That granite also hosts veins of tin, uranium, copper, lead, zinc that formed in fractures as a result of hot water flowing through to deposit the metals. More water, more halos. So the huge number of radio, uh, halos reflect the large volumes of mineralizing fluids. Similarly, in a granite I'm studying in Australia, in Eastern Australia, it has associated with it hydrothermal veins, hot water veins containing, formed from hot water, tin and tungsten, large numbers of radio halos. So this leads to the possibility that we could actually use radio halos in granites and other rocks as a pathfinder to find new ore deposits. If we find more radio halos, we're getting closer to an area where there was more water capable of producing ore deposits. Exciting possibility. Who said that creation research doesn't have practical applications? Don't worry, I'm not going to become a millionaire out of this overnight. So further sampling and investigation of granites that host these deposits is certainly planned to test this possibility. And uh, your polonium radiohalo is certainly associated with ore deposits that indicate large volumes of hydrothermal fluids flowed, uh, the, the fluids flowed to, to produce these polonium radiohalos. Again, we're talking about ore deposits forming within days to weeks, otherwise the polonium would not have survived. See how we can see now that these processes didn't require millions of years, that they were catastrophic during the flood. Well, let's conclude. Radio halos provide evidence of hundred, hundreds of millions of years worth of, of nuclear decay accelerated at today, uh, from today's rates. This provides us with a new model for the rapid cooling of granites in six to 10 days. This is the concurrent formation of uranium pol polonium radio halos. The radio halos provide a new model for the rapid formation and cooling of metamorphic rocks within days to weeks. A potential model for the rapid formation of hydrothermal ore deposits in only days to weeks. Of course, these time scales and processes for these processes would thus be consistent with the biblical year-long flood event. And of course, if the decay rate was accelerated, then the radioactive methods for dating rocks are thus unreliable and require a new model to account for much decay at accelerated rates within the scriptural framework of Earth history only of 6,000 years. <laughs>